Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This week, Americans are squarely confronting the rights and responsibilities of our government, our citizens, and our fellow humans. With the travel ban, news from the intelligence community, and the American Health Care Act, we're asking what exactly we do and do not owe to someone else's babies. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. So we owe to someone else's babies what we owe to ours. Good show, everybody. See you next week. All done. Done. <laughs> That's me dusting my hands off right there. There's a lot to talk about, though, so we will maybe not leave it at that. So we're going to go through <laughs> we're going to go through the travel ban decisions, the new orders that have come out by federal courts in Hawaii and Maryland. We are going to attempt to talk a little bit about what's happening with the Justice Department and the intelligence community. Maybe we'll get to some stuff on tax returns and then some healthcare feedback. And speaking of healthcare, I'm going to 
try not to cough in everyone's ear and appreciate your patience with my cold as we go through this episode. So I just want to thank the Pantsuit Politics community, um, and I guess maybe Donald Trump for offering me so many opportunities to dust off my law school outlining skills. I'm actually really enjoying these decisions. So if nothing else, in the face of this naked attempt at discrimination, I am enjoying using my law degree again. (laughs) Well, do you want to walk us through the Hawaii judge's decision? So that's the decision that came out first. A federal district court in Hawaii enjoined the travel ban, the new executive order on a nationwide basis. So much like the Washington decision, Hawaii versus Trump, the plaintiffs were seeking a temporary restraining order, and they had to establish the same standing as in Washington. Again, they used the university system only this time because it's Hawaii. They tacked on a healthy dose of tourism. If you've never been to the lovely state of Hawaii, I highly recommend it. That was not a sponsorship ad. That was just I really did enjoy my trip to Hawaii several years ago. Uh, They also went through a... For the restraining order, they had to choose, they had to show the likelihood of success on an establishment clause claim. They quoted a, the plaintiff says arguing that the government in this, in this case was establishing a disfavored religion, but it's establishment clause um, violation just the same. And again, they, the court used Trump's previous statements, candidate Trump. What really came into sharp relief for me as I was reading this decision is the, lack of experience of him um, in public office and the complete disassociation from say whatever you want to win and how that affects you when you're the actual president of the United States is just, ooh, those, those, uh, is it chickens or pigeons that come home to roost? Whichever bird it is, they are coming home to roost right now because they quote him. They quote Rudy Giuliani. They quote Stephen Miller. This is my favorite because um, this is a lot of the quoting with regards to the first executive order and less during the campaign. But he he basically was like he went on TV and said, well, this is just the same. It's basically the same as the first executive order. OK, spoiler alert. That one got struck down. So maybe if you don't want this one to be struck down, don't compare it to the first one that was struck down. So that was some of the the causes and quotes and previous statements they use as a, a very likely indicator that it would be struck down again. Um, I also really like they, they cited a draft report from the Department of Homeland Securities. And I don't remember this being cited in the first case in which this report said that citizenship is an unlikely indicator of terrorism threats. They also used the lemon test, which, gosh, I remember taking many, many quizzes over this and a test over this in law school, but I didn't remember all three test. I I did remember it was a three-part test, so I'll give my brain that. But so it has to have a primary. The first test of the lemon test is that the law has to have a primary secular purpose. It may not have the principal effect of advancing or inhibiting religion and and or it may not foster excessive entanglement with religion. The court did not even move on to the second two because they felt it was so obvious that this law failed the first one. I really liked this quote. They said, the notion that one can demonstrate animus toward any group of people only by targeting all of them at once is fundamentally flawed. The court declines to relegate its establishment clause analysis to a purely mathematical exercise. And they were addressing the administration's argument that because they didn't get every single Muslim country in the world, that it wasn't a Muslim ban. They basically said they don't care if it's facially neutral, that that's not the only thing that mattered. And this one they really zinged in. They said... 
that the court or the administration was arguing that they shouldn't do anything that, you know, they shouldn't be looking into secret intent or psychological analysis. And the court was like, yeah, well, there's nothing veiled. And this is, this is a direct quote, actually. There is nothing veiled about this press release. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. So yeah, that stuff he said as a candidate is really biting him in the butt right now. And then he said, um, which I thought this was a really good point, is that this law, you know, is using a sort of sledgehammer where a scalpel would do. They said, like, this law would bar Syria or this executive order would bar Syrian nationals who had lived in Switzerland for decades, but not Swiss nationals who had immigrated to Syria to, like, fight for ISIS. So, you know, maybe you need to work on the way your law functions. So they also claimed a violation of the they, – they had a long list of problems. Violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the Fifth Amendment, Due Process Clause on the Basis of Religion, National Origin, Nationality, Alienage, Violation of the Due Process Clause in the Fifth Amendment based on Substantive Due Process Rights, Violation of the Procedural Due Process Guarantees of the Fifth Amendment, Violation of the Immigration and Nationality – it goes on and on and on. So they – again, the court felt it was pretty obvious that this had a, a at least a likelihood of success on the Establishment Clause claims. They did feel like there was a likelihood of injury if the temporary restraining order was not granted and that the national security interest was not outweighed by the um, free flow of religion, separation of families, and freedom from discrimination. So they said no, and they issued the temporary restraining order nationwide. So it will not go into effect. That is two courts, zero Trump for those keeping score at home. So I want to say that I disagree in every way with the executive order. And I also find this to be a very problematic opinion. I read it three times (laughs) because I kept thinking, what am I missing? I thought that the analysis of this opinion with respect to the individual plaintiff. So there was the state of Hawaii. There was also the individual plaintiff. And finding standing for an individual plaintiff in this case based on the hurt that that person feels, which I have no doubt is very real about the fact that his mother-in-law would not be able to travel to the United States under this order, I thought was a very weak legal analysis. And I kept reading it over and over because the court said, you know, he has alleged a concrete and particularized injury that is already ripe, even though she hasn't even applied for entry into the United States. And I, I, don't, I don't think so. And then when I look at the Establishment Clause analysis, I agree that Donald Trump's intent in passing, in cr- creating this executive order is highly problematic, that it is offensive to a huge number of people. I am very concerned about how far outside of the language of the order the court went, because I can think of lots of hypotheticals where this case gets cited in ways that take us down dark paths. And I know that people listening are going to think, well, aren't we already on a dark path? Look, I, I don't like this order, and I think it's I think it's wrong. I think it's foolish and unwise, and I think the order doesn't do what it intends to do. I think this example about the Syrian national in Switzerland is a great one, but the court doesn't sit to decide if a law is going to be effective or if a law is a is a wise law as a matter of policy. And 
I just think this district judge is fed up and pissed off and feeling all the feelings that a lot of human beings in our country feel right now. But I struggle with this opinion from from a legal perspective. Well, I mean, she had filed a, the mother-in-law, I'm speak, going back to your standing concern. She had filed a visa application and it had made some progress. And I think that they're their the standing they were asserting was that she because the they were worried the visa wouldn't go any further and that in the interim during the application because she is not a visa holder that is like granted a waiver she wouldn't be able to visit on the short term so i mean i think there's some injury there if not particular as far as the i just don't think i think they're right i think that saying you're reading too far into our our other statements I mean, it's pr- particularly Rudy Giuliani saying he told me he wanted to do a Muslim ban, but a legal one. Like, if that's not admissible, if we're not going to think about what that means, I don't know. Here's my other question, and I really don't know the answer to this. How do we talk about and and this to me is a bigger question than Donald Trump. How should we be talking about ISIS and terrorism that is rooted in radical Islam. I believe that that is a perversion of the faith. I do not ascribe any of that intent to the millions and millions of Muslims in the world who are peaceful practitioners of a faith that I respect. There are people, though, who have taken a version of that faith and turned it into something that is dangerous to our country. And I don't know how to talk about that. And I don't know if this order recognizing that as part of the faith. I mean, I I feel like there's almost language in this order that says we can't talk about any aspect of Islam in connection with terrorism without being religious, without discriminating based on religion. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I know that's a fine line and it's a difficult subject, but I do think we have to grapple with that way beyond Donald Trump. This order feels a lot to me like, oh my gosh, we all know what Donald Trump is about and we can't have that. Okay, I get it. But we're setting a whole lot of precedent based on, and he's, you know, he's the president, right? And when we have these orders, they're orders about the office. How How is the president to talk about this and to act on it and to do things that are reasonable and, and legal in the interest of our country's security? I'm not saying this order is. I don't think it is. But I do think that it's troubling to decide that any decision made in the interest of national security can have absolutely no discussion of faith, whether it's radical Islam or radical Christian Christianity or whatever, but but there is a tie between terrorism and what some people use religion for. What do we do about that? I think that you just talk about it as a terrorist. They're terrorist groups. Why do we care what motivates a ter- like? Why do we care the the philosophical underpinnings of terrorist groups? All we care about are their means and their ends, right? So I just think that when that with that report, the, the Department of Homeland Security's report is right. Let's pay attention to the factors that actually indicate that this person would want to harm Americans. Their faith does not indicate that. There are 
lots and lots of Muslims. Right, right. Totally agree. And their citizenship doesn't indicate that. And the fact that they're a refugee doesn't indicate that. So why are you writing an executive order to protect us based on these things that aren't good indicators of whether or not somebody wants to harm us? And I think that, you know, the way, look, I've had enough conversations with other um, and listened to a lot of reporting and read a lot of books and articles and long reads and the whole lot. And there are Americans who think that Muslims should not come here, that they're a threat to our culture, and that all Muslims think that the Quran gives them abilities to lie to you. And I mean, just crazy racist stuff. <laughs> and I think that the court's decision here, look, it's not like they're just spouting off. It's not like they don't cite lots and lots of decisions in this in this um decision there's lots of you know they they sort they cite other decisions so i don't want to blow it off as like it's written like an editorial i mean i think that it reads like a decision that no that is not beating around the bush about the underpinnings steve uh bannon's under approach to the world which has colored donald trump's approach to the world which is that muslims are a threat and that you know white christianity is the foundation of america and they're a threat to that and this order wants to address that and that's unconstitutional, and the court, I don't think, should make any – I don't think – should tiptoe around that, I guess. Yeah, I just – I don't find the – I find the outcome of this consistent with my personal opinion of the executive order. I, I don't want it to be enforced, but the process to get there, I'm I'm worried about it. I think it's a stretch, and – It'll be interesting to see what happens on appeal because it sounds like this one probably will make its way up to the Supreme Court at some point. And um, we'll see what happens. Well, and also I think, you know, this is an executive order. This isn't a law that made it through Congress. You know what I mean? And while the president has substantial powers with regards to immigration, I don't know if it's that deep of a threat to our process if the court even – sets precedent that could limit some of that power, I guess, because I think that post 9-11, we expanded that power substantially, and that maybe there is some contraction of that power in order. Well, I wish that that could happen through Congress. I mean, I absolutely think that this order is in place in huge part because of Congress's failure to act, not under President Trump, but for the past decade. So to say, that's just becoming a theme of the show. It's becoming a theme. Like, get your stuff together, Congress. Do it. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. 
Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. So we did have a listener write in and say, ask us about, um, with regards to the discuss- discussions of the ban, uh, she said, if it takes 18 to 24 months for a person to be vetted now, why can't some of the agencies who vet these people just say no if there really is no data coming from the country of origin that proves they are not dangerous? Why do we have to reinvent the wheel here? Excellent question. Don't have a good answer. I don't know why we're reinventing the wheel. I trusted the process up to this point, but the Trump administration clearly did not. Well, I think it is an excellent question. I think there are definitely less harmful means to accomplish the objective of keeping people who would do us harm out of our country. There are a number of laws surrounding the way people who analyze these situations act. You know, one of the issues confronted in this order is whether this executive order violates the uh, prohibition on discriminating based on national origin. You know, I mean, there you can't just kind of decide this on your own because we do have laws in place to keep people from behaving in discriminatory ways with respect to immigration. So I think that the idea of having a continuous improvement process around immigration is the right one. We need a framework from Congress that will allow the people who do that work to do it. Yeah. Again, theme, show, we're hitting one. So do you want to talk about the Justice Department a little bit now, Sarah? So the Justice Department announced Wednesday the indictment of two Russian spies and two criminal, I just like to say Russian spies, and two criminal hackers in connection with the heist of 500 million Yahoo user accounts in 2014. And this is the first time that the U.S. criminal cyber charges have ever been brought against Russian government officials. This was coming out of the San Francisco office, which I found appropriate. 
I thought it was interesting that two of the intelligence agents involved in this scheme worked for an arm of Russia's Federal Security Service, or FSB, that's supposed to help foreign intelligence agencies catch cyber criminals, not aid and abet cyber criminals, Mm -hmm. which is what our government believes that these folks did. So they and they were able to arrest one of them who was a Canadian national of Canada, but I, I'm not hopeful they'll get the other ones who are currently in Russia. I don't see Russia um, extraditing them anytime soon. So I wonder what the administration's response to this will be. Or if I mean, there are a number of tools at their disposal, right? They could um, send Russian diplomats home. You know, they could do sanctions, economic sanctions. I'm, I'm curious to see how the administration responds. I bet they don't do anything. That's my bet. So we also want to talk about the Trump claim that President Obama was surveilling Trump Tower. Today, uh, we're recording on Thursday evening. And today, uh, Senators Richard Burr, who's a Republican from North Carolina, and Senator Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia, said, and I'm just going to quote them, based on information available to us, we see no indications that Trump Tower was the subject of surveillance by any element of the United States government, either before or after Election Day 2016. Which is so weird, because you would think that's good news, right? Hooray, there was no basis for a warrant to spy on one of our presidential candidates. But uh, instead, the White House is unhappy about this. And Sean Spicer came out and told the press that actually President Obama had used GCHQ, which is a British intelligence agency, oh, to spy come on Trump Tower. And, <laughs> and GCHQ issued a statement to CNN saying that that was utterly ridiculous. That's a quote. And should be ignored, which is a pretty strong statement from a British I intelligent mean, agency. Guys, get it together. That is so. Uh, well, well, here, let's here's ha- where it came from. Are you familiar with Judge Napolitano on Fox? Yes, I am. This is his theory. So his theory is that Jesus. GCHQ did this. And I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. I don't know why. They can't just walk away from this. Because then because the president would have made a – I mean, they can't. I don't – it's not like the campaign where you can just blow things off. Like, he's the president. He accused the president before him of wiretapping him. I don't really know how this – I don't know where this is going to go. But if that there there is absolutely no evidence that he did this to anyone's understanding. So I don't think they can just be like – I mean, I don't know. I don't think they can just say, well, he didn't mean it. I mean <laughs> – I don't know. Well, I'm also just at this place where I think, what is in it for you if this is true? There's there's not a good ending if if there was some kind of basis to do this. I guess what he wants the world to believe is that there was absolutely no basis and it was just an egregious abuse of executive power or something. Ugh. I don't know. Well, let's also hop across the pond and say, good job, Netherlands. Good job. So the Dutch have elected Mark Rutte as their prime minister. He handily defeated uh, Heert Wilders to claim victory in their parliamentary elections. Wilders is a populist and a nationalist who was complimented, very unfortunately, by Representative Steve King of Iowa, who tweeted... 
Wilders understands that culture and demographics are our destiny. We can't restore our civilization with somebody else's babies. That's the dumbest I've ever heard. Excuse my French. Good analysis. I think we can wrap up now. I because mean, I feel the same way. What is that? First that of all. That is the most blatant, disgusting. I mean, go ahead. With love to Europe. In many ways, I would say that culture and demographics has been Europe's history, strong history, in a way that it is not the United States history, nor future. That's sort of the point of the United States. What are you talking about? Oh, my God. What are you talking about? We're going to restore our civilization. America is a baby country in the history of the world. Nothing needs to be restored. Everything is fine. Jeez. And we are building our civilization. And all our civilization is in the United States is somebody else's baby. I'm somebody else's baby. Word. You, Steve King, are somebody else's baby. And Steve King, let's not forget, if you towed around an iPhone, that was invented by somebody else's baby, Syrian immigrant named Steve Jobs. I mean... That's that's all our country is, is somebody else's baby. I don't get this. I want I all the really babies. I want all of somebody else's it. babies. If somebody else's babies are going to cure cl- cure cancer and address climate change and invent me a self-driving car even faster, bring on the babies. All somebody else's babies can come. Thank you. Even if they aren't, somebody else's babies can come. If they are just living, breathing human beings mm-hmm. who are being subjected to genocide in their own country, bring them over. That's how I feel about it. I'm just I, I have really lost any empathy for the idea that people in other countries don't deserve to be here exactly as much as I do. I just don't have any empathy for that concept anymore. I'm over it. And I was thinking about I read this piece about why Steve King keeps winning. And and it unfortunately included a lot of terrible things that he has said recently. One among them being that black and Hispanic people will be fighting with each other before we become a majority minority country. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. That was a good one. So just the open racism is staggering. But as I was reading about sort of the constituents that he represents and how they feel like he tells it like it is and they just sort of go with it, um, it it made me think about how a lot of parts of our country – are truly kinder to animals than to other human beings. Yep. People are crazy about dogs. That's a nut hole. Like, that's a, like an entire episode that probably doesn't have much to do with politics, but people are bananas about dogs. <laughs> well, they are. And, and I just don't understand having more kindness for someone else's baby puppy than someone else's baby human. And this quote just has been sticking in my brain all week. Like, what are we doing if we're talking about other people this way? I don't understand. I mean, I don't think I wouldn't I would not describe Steve King's humanity as fully intact. I think he might have some missing pieces <laughs> um, and, and maybe need some some deep love and understanding, probably some therapy, probably lots of therapy. I mean... There's there's a story going on there. It's most certainly not my deep story about the past of America or the future, but it certainly is other people's. Well, so speaking of how we treat other people, what we owe to other people, we did get a lot of interesting messages about our healthcare episode. 
We had planned to spend most of this episode on the CBO report, but you know, it's the Trump administration, and so our editorial calendar never works out. They laugh at so, our plans. He laughs at our plans every week. This The CBO projection, uh, just to go quickly, anticipates a, a huge number of people becoming uninsured, some losing coverage, many opting out on their own because of the lack of the individual mandate. There is a an estimated budget deficit reduction of $337 billion by 2026 because of cuts to Medicaid and a reduction in the cost-sharing arrangements under the Affordable Care Act. It would cut taxes by $883 billion. So these are all estimates. I mean, I think the thing to say about the CBO report is that it is important and also uncertain. I just love that because they don't like what it said, they just have decided that the CBO is worthless. Why is that their approach to everything? The thing, though, is Paul Ryan is totally embracing the CBO report. Hmm. I mean, he said it was better than he could have anticipated. And what this clarified for me is that Paul Ryan's intention is not to fix health care, that this is just part of a fiscal responsibility agenda for Paul Ryan. And so I think that's fine. Just be honest about it. Like, mm. don't call it the American Health Care Act if its aim that's is true. not to deal with health care. Rename it. This is the American We Want to Cut Spending on Medicaid Act. Right. Like, let's just say that, right? It's entitlement reform. Okay. Yeah. Be honest about what you're doing. So we had several listeners write in with some feedback on that episode, obviously. Lauren in Texas, I thought, um, sent us a really nice note. Beth, did you want to talk about her her note to us? Sure. So Lauren was referencing my comments about pharmaceutical advertising, and she points out that pharmaceutical ads for fibromyalgia, which is the example that I gave, have brought a new awareness to the disease. And I really related to what she said because a lot of people don't understand fibromyalgia, which I was diagnosed with in 2005. And there are people who think it's all in your head or or whatever. And, and Lauren says, now they say, oh yeah, the one with the drug ad on TV, and it gives them a point of reference to understand what the disease is better than, than they did before. And my response to that is I get it. Absolutely. I have also experienced, though, that physicians who don't understand fibromyalgia, fibromyalgia well are very quick to prescribe the drugs that are on TV for it. And those drugs have a lot of side effects. And people experience this condition in a number of different ways. And I, so I think there's a balance to be had. I, I wish that there were ways to achieve awareness beyond hawking some pretty serious drugs on television. She also says, I would like to know who is actually thinking about the young and sick because there are a lot of us. I feel like I and people like me have been completely forgotten in this discussion, and it is one that will greatly affect my life in far more ways than it will affect my peers as they are young and healthy. So Lauren's point there was that there's a lot of discussion of the old and sick, but not the young and sick. And I think that's a really important point, too, because if you think about people who need a, a great amount of healthcare services throughout the duration of their lives, the financial burden of that is quite different than someone who starts to have mm, health problems with true. age. For me, fibromyalgia actually informs a lot of my perspective about healthcare and health insurance. I choose to manage my symptoms without pharmaceuticals at this point in my life. I have I have used pharmaceuticals and um I have I have not for some period of time. 
I may have to again someday. I'm, I've found a pretty good routine for myself away from them now. I've been able to make those choices because I can afford to say, you know, massage therapy is helpful to me, so I'm going to use it, right? Even though it's not covered by my plans. I've been able to make a number of decisions like that. Uh, most people are not as fortunate as I am and can't make those decisions. And I think that when I think about single payer, I don't foresee a world where we anytime soon, maybe even in my lifetime, embrace a, an understanding of medicine that is more holistic and that is more lifestyle oriented and that is inclusive of different philosophies and preferences about how we treat our conditions. I do see a world where a market-driven approach to health insurance puts products on the table that people might buy. And I think that there might be more space in a market-driven approach for insurers and healthcare providers to take a number of different tactics in trying to solve problems like those that I experience and that Lauren experiences and that lots of people experience. So, so my experience with this disease definitely does inform how I feel about it. And I wish Lauren and everyone else who is in that young and sick category will, I hope that we'll continue to kind of raise our voices because it is a different set of concerns. Absolutely. We also, speaking of a different set of concerns and experiences, we had Susan, who's a physician, um, write in and said, I've always been anti-single payer, but I've started to feel like maybe it's the only way to get the people who need help well helped. And then I listened to today's podcast. I think that so often the idea of single payer can be seen as the only way we can actually help those in need, while those who promote a market-based strategy are seen as elitist or not wanting to help those in poverty. Your approach of absolutely we are ha- we are here to help people, but let's do it in a way that keeps as much control as possible in their hands was so refreshing and a voice I think that is sorely missing from the public conversation. I am so with you on separating insurance from employers. And I, I thought that was a really good and important feedback, but it was like so discouraging because I was listening to another conversation where they were like, let's just get these people the help they need until they can get on employer-based health care. And I was like, man, we got a big, that's a big hill to climb if we really want to eventually get rid of employer-based health care. It is a big hill to climb, but we're going to have to climb it fast because of the nature of employment changing. Yeah, too. that's true. There are so many estimates that like 60% of the workforce will not be with a traditional employer in the next 10 to 20 years. So getting people off of employer-sponsored plans onto plans that are just the plans that they own and travel with them no matter what they do, I think is a really important goal. Again, it's part of why I'm just so frustrated with the Republicans in Congress right now. There was an opportunity to do really good work that even the most strident supporters of the Affordable Care Act, I think, would have seen as progress. But again, I mean, I guess the the conclusion for me of, of this week and the CBO and Paul Ryan's comments is that's just that wasn't the focus. Yeah. Well, thank you again to everyone for always writing in and sharing your feedback with us. We are getting a pretty steady stream of um, votes for our first live event, and it's looking like Nashville's going to come out on top. So, you know, if you have some venue you think would be great in Nashville, particularly if you can bov- provide it for free, <laughs> please, or for a discount, um, please let us know. And we um, will hopefully be starting beginning the beginning, beginning phases of planning a live event. Thank you so much to Jenny and Josh for their generous donations. And as all as always, we have to thank our subscribers, but particularly our all-star team of Melissa, Tracy, Tracy, Ashley, Audrey, Christina, Nicolette, Paige, and Sydney. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all.
Thank you to our producer, Nicholas Holland, and to our chief creative officer, Dante Lima, for all the work they do to make Pantsuit Politics possible. And to all of you for making this community so special. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politics, or Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. Please leave us your feedback and send us your ideas for show topics and Pantsuit Primers on social media, or you can email us at sarah at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com or beth at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you.